Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Education is one of the most important variables in determining economic success on an individual, regional, and national level. Countries with little to no natural resource wealth, poor geographic positions, and even unstable geopolitical situations can and do outperform countries that have all of these factors working in their favour simply because they have a better educated population. But in economics, there can be too much of a good thing. And in certain countries around the world, education may be going too far and costing too much to ever return positive economic results. On an individual level, there is more to just economic returns to consider, of course. People seek high levels of education because they are interested in subjects, and that's fine. But on a national level, when things like workforce participation, skills mismatches, and student debt are all turning into major economic burdens, it's important to recognise that more isn't necessarily always better. Finding the right balance is going to be hard, especially as new technologies are constantly changing the skill sets that are demanded by the economy, and that's before considering variables like skilled migration, which can add or subtract skills to the labour market very quickly. If economies can prosper or perish based on the skills of their people, then it's something that we're going to have to get right, even if it is really difficult. And to do that, or at least to have the best shot at doing that, we're going to need to answer some important questions. So, are our modern economies becoming overeducated? If they are, what are the consequences of having too much of a good thing? And finally, what can be done to slow down or reverse this trend? Economics is the study of how people interact with things of value. And while that's simple enough, people are a difficult bunch to properly predict. Which is why, even four years later, we still have new theories and concepts to share with you all watching every week. One of the most important questions that economists must ask themselves when performing this study is how to determine the value of goods and services that people are interacting with. Different economic schools of thought have different approaches to finding this value. One of the earliest attempts by economists to assign value to things originally came about before economists were even known as economists. The labour theory of value assigns the economic value of a good or service based off how much labour is required to produce it. A car costs more than a lump of steel because a car takes more labour in total to produce. Something like a computer that is very expensive but doesn't take that many labour hours to produce is explained by this theory because all of the capital or the means of production required to make something highly advanced like a computer took a lot of labour to produce too. So even though a laptop might only take two man hours to produce from beginning to end, it would still be more valuable than four hours worth of gardening because of all of the man hours that went into making the capital that finally made the laptop. From the mines that harvested the rare earth materials, to the billion dollar factories that produced the CPU, and the massive ships that moved all of the parts all over the world. Most interpretations of this theory also note that not all labour is equal. The gardener spending four hours mowing lawns will have skills that are in far greater supply than the quantum physicist designing the next generation of silicon chip fabs in the Netherlands. The way that labour does become more valuable is through education, and this is pretty clear to see in the world around us. Economies with low literacy rates where most of the workforce are simple labourers or farmers are almost exclusively low-income countries, despite any natural resource advantages. 
Countries that have basic schooling which enable their people to work in value-add manufacturing or simple services that involve reading and writing will always do better and finally advanced economies normally become advanced because they give their people the education and resources they need to develop world-class products and technology which can add value beyond the country's borders. Apple and Samsung phones are produced in China and India from components made in dozens of countries from resources mined in dozens more. And then they're transported all around the world on Dutch ships with Filipino crews and sold in hundreds of countries. But it's the USA and South Korea that benefit from this whole supply chain the most because they were the countries that brought together enough well-educated people to produce these products that are demanded all over the world but can only be produced with the brainpower supplied by these economies. So based on the labour theory of value, the value of labour is a product of how much labour it took to educate. Put in a less confusing way, it doesn't take many man-hours to educate someone to the level of basic literacy. It takes more to give them a good understanding of a technical field, and even more still for them to be a world leader with a PhD from cutting edge research. Every step makes the labour more valuable, and looking generally at the world today, it checks out. More educated populations make for wealthier economies, so over-educating just isn't ever going to be a problem. That is according to this theory. The labour theory of value may have first been written about by early economists like Adam Smith and David Ricardo, but it was made famous by Karl Marx, who really liked labour. The labour theory of value works really well when there are no free markets because it can be used by economists to monitor economic activity even without regular transactions. And of course, it fits well into the general arguments of placing value on a population's labour. The reason that communism calls for labourers to seize the means of production is because the means of production is just another way of saying capital. And capital was built with labour, so someone profiting by owning capital and doing no work themselves, like say a factory owner, is the same as just stealing someone's labour, just with more steps. The importance of labour and adding value to labour is why the Soviet Union, for all its flaws, had a very well educated population that were able to keep up with, or in many cases exceed scientists and engineers from the west given what they had to work with. Now obviously this video is not to tell the workers of the world to rise up, so I don't want to get too into that just yet. But we do have a video on that coming soon, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on that comrade. But for now, the labour theory of value is just one scale that we can use to determine the optimal level of education. And it does have problems. The labour theory of value is not widely accepted amongst most economists today, and even when Adam Smith spoke about it 250 years ago, he added the disclaimer that this system only works in a primitive society, and in advanced economies the exchange value of a good or service is also determined by the profit taken by the owners of the capital and the land required to make it. Later economists would also include other factors like the expectation of future value, the prestige of an item, and its utility. Especially in highly sophisticated market economies, we see this all the time. A Charizard playing card in perfect condition took basically no resources or human labour to produce, but it still has a higher exchange value than that laptop from earlier because it's a prestigious item and some people expect that it may be worth even more in the future, so they're willing to pay a lot for it now. Utility is also important. A laptop in most cases has a higher exchange value than a 20 metre deep hole in the ground, because unless you're digging a subway, your underground car park, a big hole doesn't really have that much utility, even though it would take a lot more man hours to produce. The subjective theory of value basically says that something is worth what people are willing to pay for it. But when we're talking about an education, that value is still a little bit complicated. Is the value based purely off how much someone is willing to pay for a degree? Is it based off how much the labour market is willing to pay someone with that degree? And are the market dynamics changed when people are getting their education funded by the government instead of paying for it themselves?
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Since we're looking at this from the perspective of a macroeconomist that is only trying to create optimal outcomes for the economy as a whole, we can simplify this by saying that people can pay whatever they want for their own education if it's something that they value. It's okay to seek out an education for personal fulfilment, even if it is to develop a skill that is not highly demanded. But for the entire economy, subjective value is important. The advanced economies that have been able to leverage highly educated populations to create technologies that add value to the entire global economy are obviously very grateful for those small groups of people with world-leading educations. The supply of people like this is very small, not only because it takes a lot of resources to get that much education, but also because, well, it's hard. Just giving a person endless education does not necessarily guarantee that they are going to create new technologies to boost the global economy. The other thing is, the demand for people like this is also pretty small. Yeah, sure, advanced economies have got to where they are today through advancements in technology, but having a country full of nothing but researchers and scientists just isn't going to work. They need everyday people performing everyday tasks to keep things going. Eventually an additional unit or additional person, because it feels weird to talk about people as units, who is a researcher is going to have less value than someone who can build a house or farm food or even just operate the technology that the highly educated people come up with. The classic example that economists give when using the subjective theory of value is diamonds and water. Diamonds are obviously more valuable than water. We would normally be willing to exchange a lot of water for just a small diamond. But we and our economies need a lot more water than we do diamonds. And it's the same with skills. A few people with highly specialised skills can create a lot of value in an economy, but we still need a lot more people in normal jobs. So that's the economic theory behind finding this optimal level of education across our populations, but are our economies getting the balance right? In short, not really. On a macroeconomic level, I'm sure it makes sense to everybody watching that the optimal output of an economy would have more water than diamonds, but on an individual level, most people would probably still prefer to be diamonds. In most advanced economies, more people are spending more time at more universities than ever to become workers with the most valuable skills possible. But as that trend continues, those economies are running out of their metaphorical water. Even as people are more skilled than ever, major economies around the world are dealing with skills shortages because nobody is getting educated to fill the roles that are really in demand. In many countries, that's leading to unusual results, where people with advanced degrees are earning less than people with a basic trade skill. All other things being equal, that shouldn't be the case because it's harder to qualify for a job that requires an advanced degree. All other things are of course not equal. Remember there are other factors that determine value, the expectation of future value being a big one. Someone with a master's degree in economics might earn less in their first year out of university than someone who left high school to become a welder, ask me how I know. But there is the expectation that eventually the economist will end up earning more. There is also prestige and comfort. An economist will spend most of their time in an ergonomic chair in an air-conditioned office rather than flying to remote mines in the Australian outback. Since the barriers to entry to these qualifications are far lower than when only a small share of the population went to university at all, and a far lower share still had a graduate degree, more people are getting them, which is increasing the supply and reducing value. 
For now, a lot of this can be balanced out in advanced economies through skilled migration that can fill in the skills gaps for jobs that people born in advanced economies don't want to do. But endless migration causes its own problems, and eventually countries will need to balance this out themselves, especially as the world moves away from global trade. The economic trend of global trade and highly efficient but complicated supply chains is starting to reverse. In fact, it peaked in 2008 and it's been going backwards since then. The aftermath of the global pandemic and general tensions between the world's major economic powers means that companies are starting to shift their supply chains back onshore, or at least simplify them so there is a smaller chance of supply disruptions in the event of further lockdowns, sanctions or trade restrictions. Now we have already spoken about this trend extensively in multiple videos on this channel before, so as always I don't want to repeat too much here, but one thing that hasn't really been mentioned yet is how this trend could impact domestic labour markets. Advanced economies have so far probably been able to get away with an overabundance of overskilled workers because a lot of lower skilled jobs could just be offshored. If the trend really does end up with more basic manufacturing coming back to advanced economies, then the demand for practical trade skills will skyrocket. At best this will leave a lot of people working in jobs that they are overqualified for. At worst it will further heighten the skills shortage and continue to disrupt the supply of goods and services in our economies. Overeducation causes other problems too. Eventually someone has to pay for it. In some highly egalitarian countries education is paid for by the government, but the government is paid for through taxes. Normally a better educated population can work in more advanced jobs and add more value to the economy so they earn more money and pay more taxes, but as we've explored in this video that only works up to a point. If education is totally free on an individual level then there is even less to stop overeducation, and the people of an economy will collectively end up paying more for less optimal outputs. Most advanced economies have free or highly subsidised education up to a high school level, and then some system for students to fund their tertiary education through loan programs. This puts the financial burden more specifically on the students seeking this education, which should in theory mean that they more carefully assess the economic returns they will generate from each level of additional education. Whether 18 year olds are really doing that is a bit harder to say, but it still has an immediate impact on the economy. If young workers are spending their income on paying off debts that they took on to get an education that is going to be undervalued by the economy, they're going to have less money left over to spend on goods and services contributing to the output on the demand side. On the supply side they are also going to be entering the workforce later. A basic four year graduate degree means roughly 10% of the workers working life will be spent producing nothing at all. Again, if this gives them the knowledge they need to produce twice as much value in every year that they do work, it's a great investment for the student and the economy. But if it doesn't increase their output at all, it's just kind of a waste of time. Again, purely from an economics perspective. So if economists can see this problem coming, can it be fixed? Of course nobody can predict the future, least of all economists. But the good news is that it kind of already is fixing itself. Public awareness about student debt becoming a real problem in a lot of countries and jobs that don't require tertiary education but still pay well is meaning that university admissions in countries like the USA, Canada, Australia and Western Europe are actually shrinking in many cases, only being kept stable by students coming from abroad, which is something that is overwhelmingly positive for the host country. Shifts in what is demanded from the labour market happens all the time and it always causes frictions, but it normally works itself out. Economics is a study of how people interact with things of value, and not to get too philosophical here, but there are very few things that people value more than their time. So even if we are able to generate slightly higher aggregate output figures by dictating what people study, it just wouldn't be an optimal economic outcome if it meant that people were spending their entire lives doing something that they would rather not. Thanks for watching mate. 
ไปในช่วงเวลาที่ผ่านมาเราได้ยินเรื่องราวเกี่ยวกับการเมืองของจีนมากมายในโลกทั้งหมดทั้งหมดทั้งหมดทั้งหมดทั้งหมดทั้งหมด